0: The following episode of Fofop is rated M-A. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild course language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deek speaking. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Faux Fop. My name is Charlie Clawson and this is the first Faux Fop of 2022 and I have saved one of my favourite guests for this very moment. Uh, he's a former TV and radio star. He's a current business mogul, Jules Lund. Welcome to Faux Fop
1: mate it's so great to be here and when i say here i haven't moved anywhere i'm just speaking to a man who's done four thousand episodes and still doesn't know how to use his microphone well
0: yeah i mean we will we, we'll give people a peek behind the curtain we were just doing our, our little tech run as we're setting up because uh you are in victoria i am in northern new south wales and uh, i couldn't work out why my signal was so low and then i realized <laughs> i didn't have a microphone in front of my mouth But that's the thing, Jules. I've been on holidays for the last five weeks. I've forgotten how to do this job. Charlie, you've got one job, and that's to talk into the microphone. (laughs) That's all you have to do, mate. You're clearly unfamiliar with Tofop's back catalogue. I think it took Will and I about 100 episodes to work out how to use the microphones uh, with with Tofop. And we didn't bring a producer on until, like, episode 150. And the sound quality and just the overall production of the show increased so dramatically. That it actually makes me embarrassed to recommend that people go back. We often, when people say, Hey, you know, should I listen to your show? We're like, Start around episode <laughs> 150. Don't listen to anything in that first two years. But come on, mate. It can't be that big a difference.
1: I mean, how no, many variables have you got? But what? Because it edits out all the shit bags. Well, we just had the,
0: I don't know, look, I can't even describe the type of microphones. So I, the, well, this is 2010. I ordered something off eBay, like a podcasting kit. And it came with these two, I guess they would be two condenser mics. But I couldn't work out if these were omnidirectional in that you could speak into any side of the yeah. microphone or if you had yeah, yeah. to speak into a specific. Yeah. And that was like for the first 50 episodes. It was a constant discussion between Will and I. Is like... Are we talking into the right side of the <laughs> microphone or does it not matter at all? Or should we hedge our bets and sort of speak halfway between two points of the microphone and hope that at least half the mic is picking up our conversation?
1: I wait all of about six seconds before I Google everything. Right. Everything. So I would have just gone serial number is this, because there's some boffin out there. There'll be
0: some YouTube is, video now,
1: definitely. Mate, absolutely. And I don't know why people want to give so much. Like I thought Wikipedia was the worst fucking idea on the planet. Like you think if someone pitched you Wikipedia and it rests on the fact that people are gonna spend their own time for free to write all of that stuff and then like keep the integrity of accuracy, you yeah. go,
0: there's no effing well, way. I think well I think you've hit on the nail on the head. They don't. <laughs> the accuracy is a huge issue. <laughs> With well, Wikipedia. mate, I read yours, and I know, <laughs> and I know you
1: wrote. A couple of times, you said first person. I, I won the
0: men's health, yeah, <laughs> cover. You're right, though. Like with, I talk uh, when I um, when we bought this house and I started, you know, doing up this this studio and stuff. I. I went to YouTube university because I am not really a handyman at all. I don't, I don't really know anything, but I had to, you know, strip the walls. I had to learn how to sand them down. I had to do like remove doors, had to oh, put mate, up I, false I walls, know. all you that kind of stuff. <laughs> You Instagrammed the whole thing. Mate, <laughs> you were <literally, laughs> Graham, you, and It birds? didn't happen. I was hoping that I could get some tribe sponsorship. Can you like hook me up with some kind of like Bunnings or of 10 or someone? Yeah, okay, Scott, (laughs) (laughs) care.
1: You've literally done... One tiny Reno you're already writing a book.
0: But the thing was, you're exact you're exactly right. Like no matter how obscure the thing was that I wanted to do, if it was like changing a specific brand of doorknob, if it was using a specific brand of kind of paint stripper or whatever it was, I could find some dude in the middle of like Ohio yeah. had made like six videos on that exact subject. My problem Jules and probably, you know, uh, a problem for me in in, in areas beyond home renovation. Uh, is that I would pick the host who I found most appealing? Uh, oh. let alone, and so their expertise was could be questionable. And so there was one in particular, it was all about how to remove wallpaper. And I'd say that like seventy five percent of the videos I watched, because I watched say like five or six videos, said, you should buy this tool from your local hardware store, which you just run it over the wallpaper and it puts little holes in the wallpaper. And then you can put like a soluble solution. So then you can just easily oh, yeah. remove the wallpaper from the wall. But there's this really cute chick who had a home renovation thing. And she was like, no, you don't need that. Just wet the wallpaper and peel it off. And I watched her videos quite a bit. And I was like, well, I like the cut of this girl's gym. <laughs> Turns out she was wrong. <laughs> she was dead wrong. It took me twice as long to get the wallpaper off my walls because this girl led me astray because she was so hot.
1: I, I don't mean to be a, 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 an idiot here, but like most of the guys that come over and fix the shit in your house are, are guys that can't, really do great instagram work or youtube work and there's a reason for it because they give zero f's and they just want to get the job done so there's there's something in that and i i i've i've googled in one day i googled um a haiku big ass fan because it wasn't turning on right. i googled this morning um uh, my garmin forerunner watch wasn't switching on and then I just found 15 seconds hold that button and that button yeah and then there was a filter the most obscure was a filter in a um a water tank because you ran out of water at um my in-law's house and there was a um a sort of air pump um water pump thing and it you dropped it in the water and it looked ancient mm. and I was able to find the code on it googled it and it basically we were able to unscrew something and then poke this bit and then it just fired up. So I I think as a human race we've done very well considering we don't read any manuals, right? If you didn't have Google, you'd cuz that precision no one's going to sit down. Remember years ago you'd be excited by something you'd almost open the manual. Mm. <laughs> I've got a parachute. I've got a new parachute and
0: a reserve <laughs> And a rig for me to jump out at twelve thousand feet. I still haven't read it. we just what we've done is we've basically outsourced our long-term memory. You know, this is yeah. stuff that we used to think about. You know, pre-Google Maps, what you used to do. Do you remember, like, oh, a street directory? Like, especially yeah. if you're driving into state where you're unfamiliar with the roads, you would memorize. Okay, it's three streets before the turnoff, and you would commit that to memory. You'd commit the names of the streets. Now, if I had to go back to using a street directory or, a, God forbid, oh, a map, I, who knows? Who knows where but I'd end up? Never forget the 7D
1: to page 59. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> While <laughs> like you're driving, choose your own, by the way. Shoot <laughs> <laughs> your own adventure. Can you imagine the, the Uber Eats
0: and delivery drivers <laughs> doing that now? we would. The road would be buzzing with just cars stopping suddenly. Well, I remember our mate Mika before I went to LA for the first time saying to me, because it would have been sort of late 2010s, 2007 probably, and her urging me to invest in a GPS. And I was oh, like, yeah. no, no, I don't need it. I mean, how hard can it be to navigate streets? Everything's a grid maker. I can figure this out. But then you get to a country where like the street numbers go up into the, the multiple thousands, you know, and you'll be on yeah. an eight-lane freeway traveling at 100 oh, kilometers yeah. an hour trying to like, what was the was the exit San Dimas? Was the exit San Diego? I can't remember what the exit is. And then you end up in a completely foreign country driving down the wrong side of the road. So because I remember I, I, I left the airport without the GPS, I got about halfway down one of the freeways and immediately did a U-turn and headed straight back to the airport and was like, just give me the GPS. I'll pay the extra five bucks a day or whatever it is. And then you download Homer Simpson to to, to guide you? Yeah. You know what I did actually? I hired a goddamn Mustang, like one of the new Mustangs or new for 2007. And I was so nervous about you know, driving on the wrong side of the road and, and and navigating and stuff. That I pulled out of the the airport, the car rental place in the airport, and I'm driving down the street. And I'm just sort of got all these things going on in my head, and I freaking sideswipe a truck. Like, just take my my rearview mirror and just like scrape the side of the car. And I had that. I, I guess I went into shock. Like, I just I just, like, I just kept driving. I didn't stop. I just kept going, and then like got to my accommodation in in um, Santa Monica and was like, oh man, like. What am I going to do? And in my head, it's like I couldn't remember what level of insurance I'd taken out, or I had the insurance, and I couldn't figure out if I was covered for, you know, uh, comprehensive or whatever. And so I went through this whole, I created this, turned it to this, this like huge kind of like um, uh, uh, cover up, where I was like, well, I'll, I'll need to, I need to get a police report done. <laughs> so that I can go back to the car (laughs) hire place and have plausible deniability. So I went to the local police department and I tried to uh, say to them, I said to them, I had my car parked on the side of the road and uh, I went to the shops (laughs) and I came out and some bastard had sideswiped me like total projection. This is exactly what I had done to some person's truck. And so the cop was like, okay, cool. He's like, so you're saying your car was parked on the side of the road and you got sideswiped by like traffic. And I said, yeah, but in my head, I was still thinking about what side of the road in Australia yeah. we park on. And so the cop was like, but how did you sideswipe? You said you were parked on this street here, but you'd, <laughs> your car would be facing the wrong way. And I just was like, I, 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 I <laughs> <you> <laughs> know what, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And I went through this. I I went through probably about a three or four day sweat box of like, how am I going to get it? And then I eventually just went back to the, the comprehensive car, the, the the car place and fessed up, and they're like, "Yeah, it's fine, mate. It's, it's fine. It's a rental oh car. Oh my company. god, yeah, we're covered. Don't yeah. worry about it. <laughs> to, to take a new car.
1: Didn't we scrape the top of the bus when we went to splinter that straight into the hotel? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we, knocked, first, we just arrived,
0: and we just went. All right, we'll park it underneath and just. Like, <laughs> well, hang on. Wasn't it? So was it your job? Or it was someone's job to kind of call the clearance. Oh. So yeah, a, a big rip of us. I was six. I
1: was six beers deep. <laughs> I was.
0: To paint a picture, about six to eight of us uh, heading up to Byron Bay for Splendour in the Grass. We'd hide it was like a minibus, right, like a, yeah. a Tarago or a minibus. We'd come up to our accommodation, which is a fairly steep driveway into an underground car park, and we were a little nervous about whether or not the van was going to get in. And it was someone's job to get out and just call the yeah, – it's No, The hike. No, I, was it definitely
1: – I, I
0: blame my dad. Right, my dad is
1: a she'll be right. Okay, and when I I become my dad about two beers in, mm-hmm. for the rest of my life I I I fight against my dad and I worry about everything because he didn't worry about any. Yeah, right? he was just the eternal optimist, and it used to drive me mad. Yeah, she'll be right, she'll be right, because everything always was right for him. Because even if something went wrong, he didn't care. He'd say she'll, she'll be, be right. right. Yeah, because
0: it's it's and a it's, you never have to deliver on the she'll be right because it's a long game, right? Because it yeah. might be bad now, but then it can resolve itself. And so at the point yeah. it resolves itself, you say, see, she'll be right. She was right. But what's the right? Like he just keeps taking it up into meta heights. So
1: she'll be right. You go, yeah, but I lost my leg. Yeah, but you still get your life. You know, yeah, like yeah, what yeah. is it? Where, where does the right become? No, this is actually quite serious. But yeah, I said, I said she'll be right. But my dad was reminding me of that story when, when you were just saying, because my dad used to, in the old days, mm. four years ago, um, drink drive. And um he, no, he used to he used to drink drive like all of our parents. Yeah. And um and yeah, there was one time he didn't put the park brake on and it rolled down the hill and took out a few trees on the way. And when he got the he got the insurance guy to come out and assess it, he said, Yeah, it was sideswiped. And the guy goes, by bike three <laughs> Which way was the tree driving, sir? (laughs) Because look underneath it. It's just got a
0: eucalypse
1: just dragging under the axle.
0: It must be – that must be a fun job being like an insurance company investigator because the shit that you would be coming across. Like I've told little white lies. Generally mine are all to do with rental vehicles. I remember another time I got a flat tire with a rental vehicle and I – jacked it up but you know how underneath your car there's certain points that you put the jack under because yep. otherwise it'll bend the metal's not strong enough it's not reinforced i put it in the wrong spot yep. bent a little bit of the undercarriage still changed the tire but i was i remember looking at it going it's barely noticeable i'll just flick some mud on it take the car back the guy does his yeah. circle around and just like go straight for it and is like ah oh, did you did you um? When you changed the tire, did you did you put the jack in the right place? Like, yeah, absolutely. And it's like, because it looks bent there. And then I just lied. <laughs> I just said, oh my god. And then you get all, and then you get all indignant. Like the 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 more caught out in the lie you are, the more indignant you become. Oh, how dare it, you, sir! How dare you?
1: I know. I I I think that's the bit I hate most about myself that. I just carried it from primary school to high school. And now everyone's a teacher worth lying to when it comes to taking responsibility. And I think it came to, I think my maturity came to a head when I was in my twenties and Anna, uh, my wife and I were over in Thailand um, and we go out on these jet skis and we're fanging Mm. like out of Phuket and we're going really hard and we're going over waves and everything. And then, um, I can't remember. I'm going to blame. Her.
0: <laughs> <And> <laughs> Never take
1: responsibility. She turned, <laughs> turned it. Into... No, either way, we we collided and cracked a bit of the front. And I come back, and the guy oh, so goes, "You've you're, done
0: this." You on two separate jet skis. Yeah, right, right,
1: yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And we've we've done a turn, and we've we've knocked it right, and and we've sort of scuffed up the front. And I go back, and just the guy goes, "You scuffed the front." I just automatically start saying wasn't us before i've even realized like these guys it's their profession there was just no empathy from me i just automatically just just see how how quickly i can get out of this and it got to a point where i was just like i just stopped and i went what am i doing i said of course it was us i'm so sorry like you guys are you know you've put your life savings into these things but i just had to get out of my own ass yeah take my head out And, um, and just go, how much is it? And then he said the price, it was still nothing. And I
0: am just haggling. I'd spend an hour on the beach. He's holding my passport, mind you. (laughs) I guess there is a, a, there is an element of self-preservation that must come in. Cause I found myself doing the same thing. Like I remember years ago at the races, you know, Derby day or something. And I was young, like in my early twenties and I got very cocky about just wandering into marquees that I wasn't invited to and just like getting free drinks. And I got to the, the – the more I did it, the more cocky I became, the more inebriated I became. So then I started sort of moved my attention away from marquees just to people's eskies in the car park. I just go up to <laughs> someone's esky. And I remember like I was getting really cocky about it and saying to my friends, you guys want to be, You want to be? I'll go to there. And they're like, where are you going to get it from? I'm like, I'll just go around for that esky over there. And I go up to this <gasps> esky and I grab a couple of beers and I turn around. There's like two big blokes are standing there. Like, what do you think you're doing? And so, out of the corner of my eye, I see because you know the car park is numbered. It's you know yeah. th- three thirty-seven, yeah. three And I'm like, yeah, this is uh, this is Peter's Peter's car park, isn't it? And they're like, who's Peter? And I'm like, yeah, three thirty-eight. And I then I look up and I'm like, oh, three th- oh, guys, sorry, sorry. And they, of course, they didn't believe me. And I'm trying to like explain my way out of it, and I'm and I'm giving the beers back and stuff. And then I did the same <laughs> thing where I said. All right, look, guys, I'm really sorry. <laughs> like I, just, I, I, was get, I was on a roll. I was getting free beers from the Marquee. It was really bad of sorry. Really Luckily, they didn't kick the shit out of me because they had every right
1: to. Charlie, was it at that point you thought maybe acting wasn't your career?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Since you couldn't even con a couple of tall kids. Mate, for an actor, I'm a terrible liar. I mean, for one, like, I think, like, I can't get the smile off my face when I'm lying. <laughs> like, it's generally, like, when I know I'm trying to pull one over on someone, i got the worst, i got the worst poker face. And I think it sort of stems to some kind of, like, Catholic guilt. This is something naughty oh, yeah. that I'm doing. And so there is, like, a little bit of pleasure in that. Sneaking in, though, and I, I can't grow up. Like, I went to the
1: Geelong Adventure Park yesterday. Yeah. And um, you go the down Geelong- the oh, well, What's the Geelong Adventure Park? Is that, like, a theme park? Yeah, it's amazing. Is it? Yeah. Like, it's really good. Like, we went, yeah, it's amazing. Like, it's like, you know, an hour out of town and it's like just water sites. Oh, and right. It's, it's awesome. Mate, we, we went there as a group. There was about six couples and, you know, 15, 20 kids. And we had the time of our life. It cost you 60 bucks to get in and it was amazing. But I watched this girl sort of accidentally come off her um you know the big tubes Mm. and she goes down the tornado the tsunami which are the massive funnels yeah yeah they're awesome yeah and she accidentally came off it and she came down and thought it and i walked over to her and i said hey what was that like she goes awesome i said was it an accident accident?" she said no i said got it so when i went up to the tsunami there was three funnels they're not as big as the the big one yeah and, um, and as soon as we got on, Carly, you know, our yeah. friend Carly you So, Carl's was on there and another 16-year-old, the son of a friend of ours. And I've just, before the first one, I've just launched off and swung forward. It, it felt like it went for about half an hour going down. I went there and then I get stuck in the funnel and then the big thing comes down and they were freaking out and then it knocked me out and then the 16-year-old flew out and <laughs> it was unbelievable. By the time I get to the bottom, I, I've got the red card. So the lifeguards come over because they've never seen anyone accidentally fall out before the first <laughs> <'Cause> they, <laughs>
0: There's no way you could actually fall out. So the rules are you've got to stay in the rubber tube on oh, yeah, the whole way down. Yeah, and why, but why is that? Because it's not made for a human. Like oh, right. there were some bits that were a bit dry
1: because uh, <laughs> I, <was> fly- <laughs> I was flying a lot faster in some parts than a four-person like donut thing. And, um, oh, my God. So I get out and she's telling me off and she says, you know, you've had your first warning. And I I just think to myself, I've been here before. Like I just automatically – like I'm 42, right, and I'm getting told off by a 15-year-old. Hey, have you ever seen Class Action
0: Park? No. It's a documentary. Yes. I'm going to write that
1: down. It is. So it's called Action Park right? And I think in the like eighties, oh, of hang on, I've
0: heard about this. Is this this one that was just like is in the seventies or the eighties and completely yeah. unregulated and yeah? Yeah. So some wealthy,
1: some wealthy cowboy, yeah, right, who's just should not have built this thing, but just must have had a Peter Pan syndrome, but but not a Peter Pan as in like you know. Um, Michael Jackson, like I'm eight. He must have just gone, I'm well, Peter Pan. hopefully, not
0: like Michael Jackson.
1: <laughs> I mean, but he's like, no, actually, it wasn't, it never painted him. He wasn't actually, he, he just, his Peter Pan syndrome was, I'm a 14 year old who wants to just shoplift and set things alight. It yeah. felt so like. So basically, that. every but guy he, who
0: lives in Bondi.
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but that's me, right? My friends laugh at me because I only like films that a 14 year old boy would watch, yeah. like Avengers all the way. Yeah. Man. And so, this documentary, and it's just got all these people who are now comedians and, um, and you know, like entrepreneurs and really um, successful people in, in New York City who, and they're our age, right? Mm. And they would say when they were like 14, they would go out as groups of kids and they'd go out to Action Park. And it's called Class Action Park because there was so many injuries. The kids weren't trained. The, this, the lifeguards, like people were dying and getting maimed, and they were trying, um, they were trying <laughs> um, water slides yeah. <laughs> that just never should have been made. They were just, they did a loop de loop in a in a in a water slide. So just visualise that. It's a tunnel. And it does like what a roller coaster does, yeah. but it's got water running <laughs> through it. So, think of the science that has to – think how fast the water has to run and then think if it's too big a circle, the kid just drops. won't have enough momentum to go around it. If it's too small, they'll get stuck in it. Like, <laughs> and so – They would just be trialling it and they'd have like some 14-year-old, who's up, who's going to trial this thing? Amazing. And they they kept getting shut down and they kept opening up, but it is a fantastic, I think I saw it on Amazon Prime, but Class Action Park all the way, it's a cracker. (laughs) It's hilarious. And these comedians just talking about their experiences there and just – just the absolute perils of going out with your friends and coming back alive and just all your legs. They were coming off water slides, off the sides, down the rocks.
0: Yeah. There's a there's a water slide park up here in Ballina, <clears throat> which is the dodgiest, uh, one of the dodgiest oh, water parks I've ever been, careful. allegedly. Careful. Well, I had a, I've got a mate who um, is, is our age and he went there with his two boys who were like eight and ten. And uh, he went down one of the water slides he got some air off the lip, came down to the main part of the chute, and then hit the water. And he's like, oh, geez, like, I think I've winded myself, I've got a bit of a stitch, broke three ribs. <laughs> and I said to oh. him, do you think it was the design of the water slide? And he's like, well, not that. He's going to think, the, the the issue is, the last time I went down a water slide, I was 20 years younger and about 10 kilos lighter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because yeah, they light. are really designed for light people to be flung at high speeds, but the older you get and the more heft you have and the less flexible your hips and joints are, like the more damage you're going to do when you're coming flying out of those things at high velocity.
1: Yeah. Speaking of which I can hardly move my lower back today. Um, Not because of the water slides. It didn't help it, but um, because I landed quite hard skydiving the day before, which brings me to the question, are you going to come with me, sir?
0: Well, okay. So you, are you fully qualified now as a skydiver? Like you, you can do it. All right, now does that mean you can tandem jump with no. me? okay, <laughs> no. you can't train. Nah, me. nah, you're not coming with me, mate. Okay. I'm not putting you in a baby. will go with you. Up the front. I'll go with you for <laughs> sure. Like I've gone skydiving before. I, 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 I would have no issue doing it. I think maybe Gemma would have an issue with it. Now that we have a small child, she's much more reserved about you know uh, taking part in activities. That my, obviously Anna doesn't have the same concern. <laughs> <laughs> she's obviously she's she's re up the uh, life insurance. She's like, yeah, Jules. <laughs> she bought me all the gear. I get the hint. <laughs> she's just she's cutting she holes in the parachute. It. She said, "I I packed it myself." Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I'll definitely go. But will it be as fun if you're on? You're going solo, and I'm strapped to some dude.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, no. We'll Old lady. Bar. Yeah, we'll do it out of Byron. Yeah, I'll jump first and then you'll jump after me. Is it still fun? Absolutely. Yeah, because we go up there together. And, yeah.
0: Um, well, it was funny. I, did I ever tell you about when Gemma and I went? So I got it skydiving uh, for Gemma for her birthday. This is about maybe 10, 12 years ago. And um, we did it outside Geelong and we went up in the plane and I was like totally fine going up, felt very relaxed and calm about it. And Jem went first. So when they opened the door, when we got to altitude, was it 10,000? Is that the jumping altitude yeah. about that? Sure. So they opened the door and the wind rushes in. I'm like, well, oh, okay, that's a bit of a, that's a rude awakening. And then I see Jem get edged over to the door and then go and just drops like a stone. And then that's when reality sort of came into me. I'm like, oh, oh my God, like... Suddenly I'm very high up. And so the guy's edging me to the, the edge of the door. And in my head, I'm like, how can I get out of this without looking like a real pussy? And I'm just, I'm in my head. But then he said, just cross your arms. And he's gone. Just remember when we go out, when you're going to free fall, just scream. He's gone. Because once you let the scream out, you'll involuntarily take breath in because you're going to have all this air rushing at you. So we do that. It's fine. I have a great time. You know, uh, We do the free fall for about 40 seconds and then float all the way down. Get to the ground. And Jem's there and she's like, you know, she's all right, but she didn't seem to have as good a time as I did. And she so we're just comparing notes on it. And she said, How was the free fall for you? And I said, Oh, it was fine. I really that was probably my favorite part. And she was like, I couldn't breathe. And I said, What do you mean? She's like, I couldn't breathe. Like the air was rushing in so hard, I was trying to breathe. I thought I was gonna choke. I couldn't get any air in my lungs. And I said, Oh, did your guy tell you to let us scream out and you'll involuntarily take air in? She's like, No, he didn't tell me that. It's like, Oh, that's a real shame. So we get our DVDs and uh, we go home, and and I have a mate round aunt, and I say, "Hey, Ant, do you want to watch the DVDs of us skydiving?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." And so we well, let's put on Gemma's first, and so we put it on. It's one of those preset programs, like where you just plug yeah. in the footage, and it's you know all set to the same music. It's you know slow mo walking yeah. out to the plane and going up, crossfades and all that kind of stuff. And so it gets to the bit where Gem launches herself out of the plane, and he's filming on his little GoPro strapped to his wrist, and so Gem goes out. And she can't breathe. And so you're watching her like on GoPro, like gasping, trying to get air in. But not only that, but the wind rushing up is blowing her lips back. So like a horse trying to eat an apple, like her teeth are exposed and her lips are flapping around all over the place and she's gasping for air like a fish on land. So Aunt and I are watching this and we have got tears coming out of our eyes. It's so funny. And Jen's getting really shitty because she's like, I almost died. I almost died. That wasn't fun for me. But the best bit is they get through that free fall. Then they repeat it. And they do it in slow-mo, so we get to see her lips and her teeth sticking out in slow-motion. We watched that video, I've got to say, like a dozen times. And each time, it was just as funny. We were like on the floor, rolling with tears in our eyes, (laughs) laughing so hard. I've got to tell you, Jules. About a day after that, that DVD mysteriously went missing. <laughs> Gemma <laughs> promises me that she didn't get rid of it, but I'm like, you had to have thrown that out. Like, that's the only explanation because I would yeah. give anything to see that video again.
1: Oh, my God. You know, we, we did one, and I won't name the place like you did with that water park, which you'll have to beep out, no doubt. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll never be invited back. Um, we did one a bit more north. From where you are now, yeah. um, it was me, uh, Jacko, Sammy, and Spanner, mm. uh, Anna, my wife. So we go up there, and um, and it's their first time, and because I'd done it on getaway lots, right? So and I'd have to do three at a time because we only had one sort of camera on the ground, you know, they'd get one of me, you know, from the plane, one cameraman, and then he'd go down on the ground and get that one. Yeah, and then yeah. I'd probably have one where I'm just staring into the camera on my wrist. This is pre GoPro. So <laughs> they would strap, um, a Panasonic, you know, <laughs> handycam. Um, handycam. Yeah, no, yeah. No, I'm not even kidding that they would strap a Panasonic handicam cam to my wrist. Right, it was so big. You think from a weight point of view, mm. um, I, I could tell you stories. I ran with the bulls with <laughs> with this camera that was on the peak of my hat, and it had a cord that came down <laughs> to a bum bag with a Panasonic camera. <laughs> and it had a, a literally on the peak of my cap at the front this massive camera lens. We had to fashion this thing anyway. So we, so I'd, I, I used to do it a bit. So then I take Anna. Um, jacko and and Sammy who no doubt you've probably had on on these Sammy Kavanaugh on these um on these podcasts and um and they're pretty nervous like they're real nervous right and I don't blame them and so we go out there and as we get and meet our instructors, we jump into the plane and the plane starts hurtling up the tarmac and it's a little fixed wing it's not the like they're pretty metal and sharp like they you know because they strip them right Mm. it's not a big plane and we're all sort of huddled in there and as we start going up i'm looking at anna and she's white sammy's white jacko's good at everything so he's fine and as we go up i think anna points out to the to the to the wing and on the wing is the petrol cap um, on top of so the petrol cap hole is there, <laughs> and the petrol cap is bouncing around, and there's petrol pissing out <laughs> onto the wing. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> and thing it's you. bouncing around. It's just like, you know, you can imagine it bouncing yeah. around, just and so we're about to take off, like we go, and she points, and then her instructor goes, bang, 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 to the pilot who turns around and goes. Bang, 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 bang. Anyway, the guy jumps out. He, with his hand, wipes the petrol, gets the petrol cap, puts it in, tightens it, gets some gaffer tape, puts it over the top, just rubs it again, gets back in. He goes, and we take off. I kid you not. So that sets the scene. And then from there it was, I don't have any faith in these operators, which it doesn't take much.
0: So you say you went running with the bulls, skydiving. I saw you do a stunt on the radio once we drove a car with a, attached to a bungee cord off a platform. Have you always been like an adrenaline junkie? Is this something that's, that's happened later in life or have you always sort of liked this kind of stimulation? I don't know. As I get older, I feel more dead inside. Is that what it is? I just... <laughs> because I do wonder that. Like I think there, is, there, there are certain people – because you're not a surfer or anything, are you? Do you surf? No, a snowboard. A snowboard. Went in between the drinking. But is it um, what? Really... What is it about the? Because there is a level of kind of like personal injury with running with bulls and and skydiving and even like jet skis. For some people, would be considered like an extreme sport. Like, yeah. What is it about that that you're drawn to? Oh, I just feel alive. I'm turned on,
1: and and um, I. I like drama and danger and when things are going a bit wrong, right. when there's a heightened thrill. So, yeah, you right. know, me, like, I, I we'll be out and I'll, like, well, for decades now I'm good, mm. but, you know, I'll, I'll always push it. Yeah, I'll look at the fan and go, I wonder what this bag of CCs would look like <laughs> if it was thrown in. Like, I just, <laughs> I, I just like the, that, that,
0: that, the tension in the air. Well, you're a disruptor. You like, to, yeah, dis- you like just, to disrupt the norm. Yeah. And I think that's like when that is channeled and controlled, it's a it's a really useful thing. Like we need people like you because you do think outside the box. But <laughs> I guess where it's an issue obviously is when it's destructive because I do have some friends who I feel like thank God you have extreme sports or, or whatever it is you do because I think that energy and that drive you have to kind of feel something or to be pushed if it was misdirected, you know, it could easily be you know, driven into like drug addiction or some kind of like unhealthy mm. pursuit. But I remember um, uh, reading uh, uh, about some uh, – what do you call them? The the the, the When they rock climb without – is it called free climbing? Where they climb without yeah. Yeah, yeah. support that, harnesses that and free, stuff.
1: Free solo. Free and, solo, um, yeah, like that and, guy. And before the dawn, I think it is. There's two incredible – yeah, I don't, I don't know a lot about climbing, but two incredible documentaries that, worth watching. But there is, a,
0: there is an element of um, uh, not really being able to come back down to a normal level. Like they pursue these things because that is when they feel the most comfortable and the most alive. Like I don't know if you feel this, but talking to Osha – um, about hosting. And, you know, Oshu, who's been very public about his mental health issues and anxiety and all this kind of stuff, you would think he was the least likely candidate to you know host a, an event in front of 3,000 people at the opera house or whatever but he talks about how well that's one instance in which he feels in control like every other time he sort of feels like the, the world is out of control and you know there's kind of issues lurking in every corner but then when he has the microphone and the lights on the camera then he can control what happens and I think there is an element of that with people who pursue kind of extreme sports that there is an element of well I I'm in charge of what happens here. The world is a scary, unpredictable place normally. But in this one moment in which I'm on the slope or riding that wave or jumping my bike over whatever it is, then it's up to me and I rely on me. Do you think there's an element of that with you?
1: Yeah, with OSHA, I I actually really like that. I don't know what it is about the skydiving. So I only took it up um, not – uh not at the end of last year but the year before so the end of 2020 and i did it because i, I really felt numb yeah. genuinely needed to wake myself up and i also think there is levels as you sort of alluded to before where like i did 10 years of getaway and you know i did hundreds and hundreds of weird things like right? everything like like real death-defying and also just edgy things like even just what I ate, you know, like I'd be drinking blood straight out of the neck of a cow with Maasai warriors mixed with cow urine and milk because I was feeling sick and the witch doctor came over. Like lots of really – and I loved – I just loved living in that realm. So, yeah, since then life has felt a little bit less thrilling, definitely. And so – and especially, you know, I've got a tech company and I've done that for eight years now and it's – it's just a different world, and I just needed to sort of—I needed a um, a circuit breaker. And and the—it's funny. It's actually about stress relief. Mm. So I wanted to learn how to manage my fear because I was feeling anxiety and fear in what I was doing, which was fake. Yeah. Right. So there's no real um, consequences, you know, like physically to my health and safety like i would feel flight or fight in an email yeah, Boom, right. how am yeah, i going to yeah. do that and i'm like this is fake right yeah. so what i wanted to do is actually throw myself in a you know in, in a you know deadly environment and take that control manage those fears, rise above it and actually learn how to through process what's extraordinary it's such a big black ball to go right i'm going to never you know i've done a few tandems I'm going to go in that plane up there at sort of like 12,000 feet and then just based on nine hours of sort of classroom stuff and watching a couple of videos, I'm going to launch myself out of that plane and then, you know, I'm going to pull my ripcord and then I'm going to land a pretty much parachute down 4,000 feet and land safely on grass, right? Mm-hmm. So that to me is such a, there's no way I can do that because it's a big ball. But then the ability to break it down and sure enough, trust in the process and there was just so many great lessons because if you just l- broke it down you know you get scared of big things like oh i'm about to become a parent mm. right it's just a big ball of black mass yep. it's terrifying yeah. and then you go no nah, no nah, i'm just gonna break this down into things i know i can do well i can mm. do that i can do that bit i can buy a, a i can assess what the best pram is i can you know i can support my wife going through that. you know all these yeah. things you just break it down in the process And then sure enough, before you know it, you're landing on the grass going, holy shit, I did all that. And so that elation and that pride was really good. But absolutely, I'm in control, as Osha would say, I'm in control of this outcome. And, you know, there are variables around it, but they're pretty fixed, right? Everything in between the parameters is up to me and how I land myself. And so you and I should be the same as me, we would probably worry, overthink, which in that scenario works quite well. What you've got to do is you almost got to overthink, get your processes down, and then, like you as an actor, throw it out. Yeah. Do you remember you used to do that? Your acting coaches would have said, <laughs> all right,
0: here's all the motivate." Did you have any acting coaches? <laughs> Clearly, you've right. never seen me act, mate. Do <laughs> you think I have acting coaches? <laughs> no, um, but I, I do understand the idea of, um, being, metic- being meticulous, pre-history. yeah, being meticulous yes. in your preparation, but then working on instinct. Like I think creatively, no. not just creatively, but in any kind of task that you approach, it's about getting in. You know, they talk about the flow state and what that means, and it's like, well, it's 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 generally when I was reading about this other day in a scientific journal, they're, they're talking about what is the actual neuroscience of the flow state, and it's something to do with when um, skills meet. Uh, the level of skills uh, meet perfect application. So, something that you've been training for, you can do it almost unconsciously or subconsciously. And I think that what's fascinating about what you're saying about the skydiving, I want to just go back. You're talking about how you'd, you know, it would give you anxiety to send an email or, or or read an email. Have you found that by pursuing skydiving, it has alleviated some of the work stress, like that you now? go into those situations like sending the email and it's not a, a bigger deal has it had an effect
1: um i'm gonna say possibly not okay um you know i i i you know I have my own business and the last two years no matter what industry you're in even when it's flying is you know, touch and go. We've got 70 staff in five cities across the globe. Everyone's going through lockdowns at different times. Mm. And and so it's it's been really stressful and, um, and unenjoyable. And I actually now am doing the skydiving because it's the only thing that pushes work out of my brain. Right. So in, in a short amount of time. So obviously I'm on holiday now and, I, you know, as soon as I was able to let go, it took me, you know, whatever it took me, a few days to let it go. But then on a weekend, I wasn't able to recharge because I was just, Thinking you know, still work. having a, you know, I'm still sort of processing things in my yeah. head, but at the drop zone, you, you, you don't have a choice. Yeah. You're there and it pushes everything out of your head and you are so present. Now, that's the state you wish you could do through, you know, t- TM meditation and yeah. stuff. That's the point of it. But I've, I've sort of struggled because it's just been quite a pressure cooker and, um, so I've used it to for that day. And and amazingly, when you change your state of mind, when I come back to my work, it just just even that short amount of time. And that's the point of meditation. If even mm. just 10 minutes you can escape your environment um and rise above it, by the time you come back, it just even feels slightly different. And you know, at a at a high level, that's what your holidays are for. Yeah. But at a small level through your day, it's it can be quite difficult going for a run and whatever that state is. But yeah, I just needed to do something extreme to match the extremity of
0: the last couple of years. It's funny. I, I've been a bit lax in my meditation lately, but the the last uh, course that I did, um, which is a Sam Harris, he's got this app called waking up, which is more of a neuroscientific mm. approach to yeah. meditation. It's sort of, you know, less about, um, I don't know, just it just feels like a more scientific, less sort of woo-woo approach to meditation. Not well, that you meditation get, is woo-woo. You, you,
1: you get you get his guided stuff, and then you get his thoughts on yeah. everything from you know, it's, brain patterns to it's pretty it's pretty gnarly stuff. But a, but a lot of our friends have that one it was a bit much for me for for a little while yeah
0: he's interesting Um, Sam Harris I haven't delved much into him as like a personality or his you know political views I know a lot of people do not like him but I just find him to be like a massive nerd you know like he just kind of you know he he breaks down and analyzes and and that probably leads to him maybe being a bit off-putting because he breaks things down into like very sort of like dry You know, um, clinical approach to issues which people feel very strongly or emotional about. But the one thing I found very useful um, in one of these meditations was this idea of when you feel that kind of anxious thought that, you know, that, that racing thought, that thought that keeps sending you in a loop where you can't get that thing out of your head if it's an issue at work or at home or whatever you know, a lot of schools of thought of of mindfulness is about the idea of being like a river and just sort of allowing the thoughts to sort of flow through and you do not fixate. Whereas Mm. his technique is different, which is like, well, why don't dive deep into that thought rather than just kind of ignoring it is just follow it to its origin, you know, like follow it down the rabbit hole and see where it, it begins. And more often than not, what you find is when you do that, it actually has no origin. Like, You know, it's weird when you're feeling anxiety because generally it's an emotional response and it's a neurological response and you feel like there is something, you know, like you're saying before, it's like life-threatening. You're responding to an email in the same way you would if, you know, your life was in danger. So you might have specific issues going on, but the idea is that the anxiety you're feeling is just part of your consciousness, you know, and you can give it as much, attention or as little attention as you want. And that is obviously the challenge is sometimes it feels like you cannot shake that thought. And I think it's really healthy to do what you're doing, which is I'll just find another activity. Like Jem, you know, on the other end of the spectrum has taken up pottery and she was someone who's tried meditation, but didn't work. And then a friend of hers invited her to, you know, come make some ceramics. And it's this beautiful property, not far from us, you know, overlooking the hinterland, and it's really quiet and Jim just goes there on a monday and it's like you know five or six people and she just makes pottery for like 3 hours and she says for her it's the sort of the tactile nature of being lost in art and making something with her hands so it's kind of a combination of creative but also the practical nature but that gives her real relief and i'm like I, that to me is like it doesn't matter what the activity is. For someone, it might need to be a real kind of like shock to the system, jump out of an aeroplane. For someone else, it might be as simple as, you know, working with their hands. But I'm starting to get that as well up here. You know, I've, through coronavirus, I've had to sort of detach from a lot of social media and things I would ordinarily listen, listen to because I just feel like my head was getting filled with so much kind of information that I was finding it hard to process and and I was getting a bit stressed out but then being able to exercise, being able to work in the garden, being able to work on the house, being able to do things that are just kind of meaningless in a sense, like weeding the garden. I never thought I would get such pleasure from Mm -hmm. weeding the garden, but there is kind of like a a mindless, repetitive nature to just going around the house and just pulling up weeds with my hands. You get a little dopamine hit because there's a sense of like having achieved a task at the end of it, but it's also, it's kind of, there's no consequences to my action. If I have to abandon yeah. this halfway through, doesn't matter. Like I can get back to it. But, you know, there is a task to complete.
1: Well, you know me, I've never followed any sport of any kind. But but that is, I mean, like I, I always used to look at golf and just think, why bother? But that's exactly what it is. You're staring at a little white ball. It's quite meaningless. You put a goal on it. And for that time, those, you know, those, those especially you know businessmen that do it you know they'll be busy they'll go out there and they'll be staring at that thing i'm gonna get that border there and it's just focus and it may as well be a mantra you may as well be focusing on your mantra in that moment because it's the same thing but the other thing you touched on there is you know that anxiety where you know a neat little trick in terms of and it's more of a i suppose a um uh like a an easier way to go down and find the origin to expose how meaningless it is mm. often our anxieties and our fears manifest as what if questions yeah Shit, what if you know what if um uh what if i don't uh, do it by that deadline what if you know they don't like it what if what if what if um and, they, and that's what that fear is and and that's where it starts to ruminate so it, it you know you'll be waking up at 2 a.m and you're like really what you're saying is what if what if what if what if what if the, the I can't remember who said it to me when I was younger, but they just said, mate, all you're doing is asking a question. Can you just at least commit and give it an answer? Hmm. And so if you actually answered your what-if worries, you would actually get to the next what-if and the next. And before you know it, there's actually a scenario there that you can accept, yeah, so a worst case scenario, so for instance, all right, I get that email that I was talking about earlier, and it's like, all right we need to you know we need you to present to the global heads um, that idea that you had, and you go well ha- well whoa, whoa what what if it's not going to work, what if it-? and they go well, if, if it's not, then i've got the opportunity at that point to be able to actually ask them for feedback, all right, then they're going to get feedback, and what if what if you know the feedback That they give me improves it so you end up sort of going through a part i didn't explain it well i don't really have the best um example for it but often what happens and it needs a real life one Mm. often what happens is you yeah you do arrive at something going right you may not get that next job yeah and then what happens if you don't get that next job well I can live with that because we've got too much work on at the moment anyway, and then we can concentrate on high tasks with people that are less judgmental, and you're worried about these people, and you'll be okay. I suppose you get back to what my dad is. You know, she'll be right. But the point is, as soon as you get to that worst-case scenario, which you arrive at really quickly, you usually Mm. have to answer like three what-ifs, and then you go, I'm cool with that. All of a sudden, it stops ruminating because you've answered it.
0: Yeah. I, I had a therapist do like a similar exercise with me where I, I can't remember what the issue was, but it was something about what if this goes wrong? And she said, well, let's, let's play it out. All right. So let's yeah. talk about all the issues that, that could go wrong. And you're right. Like it just, with every kind of um, example I brought up, she could offer like a, a favorable wow. outcome or a way, is this really the the biggest disaster? I think, the issue for most people, is, well, uh, I should say, the issue for me, which I and might be an issue for some people, is it's the emotional, it's the emotional aspect of anxiety. So intellectually, I can totally understand if if you were counselling me through an issue and saying, "But Chuck, you know, yeah. if that goes wrong, then you can do this," and I can understand what you're saying, but it's inside. I feel like shit. In, in inside, yeah. I feel like uh, I, I'm mm. weak. That I've made a mistake. That we're having an issue at the house at the moment um, about my parenting where uh, I do this thing where I, I get frustrated quickly about something and I will have a, a verbal explosion about something. You know, I drop a pan and food goes on the floor and I'll be like, fuck this or whatever, you know, whatever it is. It's not so much the swearing so much, but Gemma has an issue with me expressing anger over something that really doesn't warrant that kind of reaction. I think that was programmed into me by my father because my dad had a really short fuse, and he would often you know blow up over small things he would just express frustration it would pass very quickly, but he would just you know he would he would just swear and and, and move on to the next thing and I don't want i that was one aspect of my dad that I didn't like was the fact that he always seemed to be like he had this weight of the world on his shoulders and he would express this kind of frustration over stuff that was not an issue. Like, hey, dad, I've got a mm. flat tire. Can you help me change? Like, a oh, bloody hell, bloody hell, you know. It was always this kind of issue. But I think what I'm doing there is it's a fear issue. You know, like I there is a little voice in my head that says if you were better at making dinner, you wouldn't have dropped that pot. If you were more reliable, you wouldn't have done this. It's a kind of self-loathing issue. And so I really do have to sort of turn the attention back on myself and be like, if it was you who dropped the pot, if it was a friend of mine, or if it was Gemma or anyone else, I wouldn't give a shit. It's like accidents Mm. happen, you clean it up. But we always judge ourselves a Mm. lot more harshly. I also think too, there's an element of um, performance to it, if I'm honest you know, I want attention. (laughs) I want, I want sympathy (laughs) for the fact that I've just fucked up and I want, and I want people to come rushing. You know, it's a childhood kind of thing, but I do think that there is an element of, if you could, if you can be mindful of it and check yourself and do that quick investigation of why is this angered me so much? Why, you know, why am I having such a response? Because I, I sort of got defensive about it at first when Jim was like, you, you know, do you have to react like that? It's not a big deal. And I was like, I'm allowed to express frustration. <laughs> you know, that's, that's okay. I'm allowed to express frustration. But then I realized it's, well, it's not really expressing expressing frustration. It's just this kind of a disproportionate response to something that's not even an issue.
1: Yeah. The key is when, you know, you should never bottle up those things if they're um, at an appropriate level, right? So trauma, you know, um, crying. Um, disappointment, frustration. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm doing this sort of chakra work at the moment, like with a spiral practitioner who's up in Byron, um, Dana, and it's sort of like over eight weeks, and you go through different clearing things. I'm just try, trialing everything because mm. why not? You got you know people that are specialists in certain areas, and um, I'm curious. And yeah, one of them was just anger because I, I visualise just. You know, I've got a lot of triggers over the last couple of years and I'm the same. I'm, I'm trying to, I shame myself for making certain decisions. Mm. Uh, but, but I'm actually angry at that and then I'm defensive in my brain. Yeah. Either way, it'll trigger it and I'll, I'll, I'll whip myself. Like I'll shame myself and I feel this sense of dread and I feel it quite frequently. Like how could I have got myself into this position or whatever? And I'm, I'm doing the exact same as you. Like I'm trying to get ahead of it. And try to reframe it very quickly, mm. um, but she was like, she was like, you need to literally get an axe and attack crap because I—that's how I visualise it. I, I end up right. visualising sort of breaking stuff. So, you know, as my KK, my sister-in-law gave me those breaking rooms. You know, where you go in, you just smash. Oh, plates. is that a real thing? Yeah, oh, that it's, I mean, great. it's a—it's a. I think it's more of a gimmick, but for me, it's like <laughs> there, part of my homework. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, you do the axe throwing. We did that for a Christmas party. And this one is you go in and, you know, I think you're meant to go into a room and I don't know if you have a bat or whatever, you're smashing plates or uh, it sounds like a Greek wedding, yeah, which totally. I have unfortunately jumped the gun off once before at a Greek wedding. Did I started you? smashing all the plates before they told me they're special ones. and the poor, poor Nonna was getting sprayed with shards of porcelain. And I was like, well, that's why I came to this wedding. Like, yeah, this I've got my own plates. I've got a boot full of them. When do we start? A baseball bat from Rebel. Like <laughs> and um so anyway, yeah, this room, you go in there, little do they know. Like I'm gonna walk out in, a, in a, it'll be like dust in there. You know, yeah. people are meant to smash these into bits, but I'll smash it, I'll pulverize it into literally just powder. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll just want to attack this thing. But I've been looking for a good axe and firewood just to attack it because I need so in that respect, you you do need to let certain emotions out. But you're right, that, that disproportionate amount of r- response, mm. like my fight or flight with an email, you know, that's our responsibility. And you're right, to Gemma and, you know, you don't want to pass that modelling on to Iona. Mm. Um, and you, you do. But like everything, you know, swearing, for instance, you know, you don't realise you're swearing. And then, you know, you'll hear it and you'll go, oh, God, I swear a lot. And then you'll realize you'll swear, and then you'll hear it afterwards, and you go, "I shouldn't swear around the kids." And then you'll swear, and you'll go a bit earlier. You catch yourself a bit earlier, and you you catch yourself as you're swearing. Mm. And then the key is you've got to catch yourself before you're swearing. And all you're doing awareness and how, like even yawning at Jetty Surf at Chadston where I used to work as a kid, we weren't allowed to yawn. Yeah. Now you. Now, when I yawn, I feel like I'm breaking the rules still, <laughs> you know, 25 years later. But it was like, you know, you would never know when you're yawning and then you catch yourself after, or they tell you, you just yawned. And then you go, all right, Then you yawn and go, whoop, hope I didn't get caught. And then you catch yourself yawning. And then before you know it, you get all the way up. And that's awareness, right? You're yeah. just trying to pull yourself all the way up into before you're doing it. And, you know, going on radio, swearing, you'd really have to do that because it was the profession. Yeah. But that's all you're trying to do with your with your reaction in those moments, and that's where you want to catch yourself. First, you know she's, you know, Jem um, is going to pull you up on it, mm. and what your journey is, and you'll be surprised how quickly you get there. And then in that moment, you give yourself the dopamine of not I got attention or whatever, of pride caught myself. Yeah, and that's a good
0: feeling. You're right. Though, that's you, change. You, you sort of mentioned shame before, and I think that's like it's such a it's such a powerful in a negative way. It's such a powerful factor in in how we and dictating our behavior and and our approach to relationships and stuff because I've noticed since I've become a father there is no shame that I feel more than when I feel like I've been a bad parent you know like there's been (laughs) there's been times where um you know like she Iona won't settle she's having a full tantrum and I'll feel that rush of anger and frustration come up and sometimes it'll bubble out sometimes it won't but once everything's calmed down again and she's asleep or, you know, I've had some time to kind of cool off or whatever, God, the shame that washes over me. And I remember uh, on Dad Pod, the, the pod I do with Osha, you know, we were sort of talking about that and I, I, I sort of felt really guilty about bringing it up because no one wants to talk about, you know, um, that their kid made them like <laughs> see red and furious with anger, you know, especially like, a, you know, she was a, a baby, but that's when I started to realize that maybe there is something hardwired into me. Like this is something environmental that I've learned about, you know, this is how you cope with um, uh, uh, adversity or obstacles is that you get angry and, and frustrated. And I really consciously had to change my thinking on that, you know? And so I, I now, when um, you know, Jeremy and I will sort of take it in turns to sort of settle her or, or even if it, you know, I've got her for the full day and, she's not behaving or she's having a tantrum or, or whatever, I, I consciously will prep myself and be like, when this happens, because it inevitably will, she's only going to be this age for a blink of an eye. You are only going to have this moment with her for the blink of an eye. So you need to find a way to enjoy even the tantrums. You need to find a way to enjoy um, you know, the closeness of being with her. And it's it's working. It's now to the point where, um, last night, she was up at 2 a.m. She's in a real anti-dad phase at the moment where uh, she just wants mum all the time, doesn't want me comforting her. And so I, I had to chase her around her room. I went into her room because I could hear her awake and crying. I went in there. She screamed when she saw me and started running from me like a one of the brothers' cartoons. She's running in circles while I'm trying to grab her. It's and, still it's still so
1: demoralizing, yeah. isn't it? I mean, you just feel so rejected. It's so
0: unloved. It's, And so, but i I had her there and i i I, I, she was screaming and trying to push me away and and and, you know wriggling and and i just was like consciously being like this is a real privilege for you to have the time to be in Mm. the room with your daughter she's not going to be this age forever and and it was just like i just changed the kind of parameters of what this was about like what does it matter it's fucking two in the morning do i have i got better things to be doing Mm. you know Spend this time with your daughter, like and then Ah, sleeping. Yeah, but then when (laughs) she calmed down, I I got into bed and we had a cuddle, and it was so nice. Like then, I really appreciated the quietness of being in there, and like you know, just this moment of this, this being, just this, just having this kind of this, this this life that I created came from me, Jules. I'm partly, I'm a God in many ways. No, I didn't go that far. We, we,
1: we think it came from you, but anyway.
0: Go on. <laughs> we haven't seen the DNA results. But that is sort of something that I had, like you say, you've got to consciously sort of go in and then check yourself at, at, at each point because emotions can overtake you. And I, the more we've been talking, the more I think your dad was bloody, he's, he's a genius. She'll be right. <laughs> It's exactly the philosophy I that we should be carrying because he's, he's right. It, it may feel bad now, but life moves in waves and you might be in a trough yeah. now, but it will eventually go up again. It is. It is always. Honestly, it is always right.
1: But then, you know, if you don't worry, because you can avoid a lot of it, yeah. you know, and that's where worry comes in. But again- it's got to be appropriate. Like for you, you were talking about hardwired feeling shame. You should feel shame. We should as parents feel shame because we need to evolve. And, you know, you've got a child there who you can't reason with, right? Mm. And so you you have to, you know, you'll blow up and then you'll feel shame after that. And the shame is there. You go, oh, I don't like this feeling. Next time I'm going to change my behavior so I do not feel this shame again. If you keep making the same mistake, you'll keep feeling the shame. So the only way out of it is to evolve, right? And then if you evolve, where it goes wrong is where um, we've learned the lesson, yeah. we've changed it, and now we're still shaming ourselves. And yeah, so yeah. that's where you have to knead out that knot. And that's sadly where we're all caught, where um, we don't clear that, you know, it's like I've learnt the lesson, right? So, you know, I was telling you the last two years I'm shaming myself. I feel I get triggered and I'm shaming myself. Mm. And in that moment, my journey now is I've got to, when I feel that pang and I'm about to sort of whip myself, mm. um, I've got to go, no, no, I've learned the lesson. I don't have to shame myself anymore. Like I've got that. I hear you. You're right. You know, I should have done that differently. You know, what if I'd done it differently? And then I would have gone down the what-ifs paths, and I would have said, Well, you didn't, you did the best decision, you made the best decision decision at the time. Yeah, you're a smart ass now because you're looking back and you're smarter because of it. Mm. But then you weren't. So cut yourself some slack and 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 as you say, what would you say to yourself if you were your mate? Mm. Because that is a transformative thing. Like whenever you go, what would you say to yourself? What would you say to you if you were your mate or your mm. partner? And it is completely different to our self-talk it is just miles apart we are brutal to ourselves and then to other people we're so kind Mm. and we're never kind to ourselves and when you change that and you start to talk to yourself you'll channel all of this really positive commentary right so you know jim steins who you know well um who was my, my mentor and he, he created the, the Reach Foundation. He was an ex-AFL footballer um, and, um, you know, a superstar and passed away at, at 45, and unfortunately, with, with cancer. Um, but I was going through a tough time the other day and my therapist said, what would he say to you? And so I started talking to myself as him and fuck me, there was shit coming from, like there was concepts, proper concepts coming from nowhere i was just monologuing mm. right and i don't i mean i sort of do believe in the afterlife and he, he, i feel him around me but i certainly don't feel like i was channeling him yeah you know um but i certainly was saying stuff i would never have said to myself or even like it was
0: did you do the mm. accent were you doing it in an irish accent <laughs> it was, so,
1: <laughs> it was so, you know i wouldn't uh, fuck on hell get you i couldn't do it but How'd I go? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but I honestly, there were concepts there. There were thoughts. I'm not just talking about just waffly affirmation and yeah. support and encouragement. There were real new
0: concepts, breakthrough thoughts that came from me to myself. So what do you think was ac- going on there that somehow you were accessing like, because obviously these thoughts didn't come from nowhere. They're in your subconscious Self-pity. somewhere. Self-pity. I am in my own racket
1: and my own narrative of self-pity that I'm sick of talking to myself and the way that I talk to myself, yeah. right, is unkind. And it—and I think I like being in this p- pity party. Sure. And I just, I just—I don't know. It's like I, I have this sort of, I access this victim mentality, whereas when I was trying to be someone talking to me, I was looking at the positive so much right. more. I was looking at the, like, the learning of it. And it was, I mean, I can be specific. It was just like I've done eight years of work, and you know it's been tough lately. And he was just saying it, you know. And he was saying it's not what you get from it; it's who you become. Which I sort of say to myself a lot. Like it's the, but he, but the way the words came through him in that moment was just like. And he he was always a bit. He was just a great teacher. It was really about oh, actually, it's all about the whole eight years has been about this tough part. Like, you know, like at the gym, you do eight reps. You don't do it for the eight easy reps. You do it for the failure of the seven and eight. And you can't just skip to the seven and eight because they are the one and the two. Do you know what I mean? You have to go through all the stuff, right? And you only get the growth. You only tear those muscle fibers from failure, Mm. from the bit where you struggle and you're striving. And there's no way to get to that. He's like. It's just the whole point of this whole chapter of my life is about this moment, how I conduct myself, how I do it with generosity, how I don't, um, I don't misdirect my frustrations to my wife and my kids, yeah. how I contain it, how I think positively, how I um, uh, give myself all the best chance for the greatest stamina of water and sleep and exercise and meditation and just all this stuff he's like this is the bit this is the whole the whole point was this bit so you're here now and this pressure is a privilege and you've earned it and Mm. it's unpleasant but this is the becoming this this sort of part of the obstacle is the whole this is the slaying of the dragon this is the bit you've got here now don't sort of pull a ripcord Mm. and get out of it you've got here now let's see who you are what are you made of and it I don't know. I reframed it pretty quickly. And I I was not using those words and that, that approach myself. And yet there I was talking to myself without the Irish accent.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting. You do almost have to do an exercise like that because you're not going to get that perspective from being Jules Lund, like being where you are in your situation. It's it's almost like you do have to detach because I, I often say about writing, for instance, like, um, you know, I find writing so difficult, and the first first four hours is agonizing, and you hate yourself, and you're no good, and why are you even trying? And and then something happens in the last two or three hours where it's like you just don't want to stop, but there is mm. no like you say with the reps, there's no way to fast forward to those last three hours. You have to do the four hours where it sucks and you hate yourself mm. to get mm. to that kind of flow at, at the end. But then it's not like it's not like every time you sit down, you can – the change is so incremental. It's not like every time you sit down, you're like, well, I'm a better writer than I was yesterday. It feels like you still don't know anything every day you sit down. It's only over the course of time that you can look back and go, oh, well, you know, I've made significant strides. I've sold this, you know, or this, is, this has worked or this has been made or this hasn't. But it's, it's really hard when you're in the midst of that trough or that down period, which it sounds like you are at the moment, to get perspective because it just feels, everything feels like a slog. And you yeah. you don't know, there's no, uh, you know, when I'm really at my low points, I'm always saying to Gem like, but how do I know this is the right course of action to take? How do I know I just haven't committed six months to a year to something that'll be meaningless? And she's like, y- you Ooh. don't, <laughs> but that's the point. Because if it was easy and the outcome was guaranteed, then everyone would fucking do it. The point mm. is, you know, especially working in a freelance or creative field, you have traded off security and you've traded off um, surety for something else. you know. And when I, when Gemini had the production company and I was producing for her, I used to get so stressed out the night before a shoot and I'd stay up all night thinking up a, every contingency. Okay, so if this specific situation happens, what am I going to do? Okay, well, I'll, I'll get that, blah, 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 blah. And that's what producers do. You're constantly kind of problem-solving, problem-solving, problem-solving. But then I sort of got to a point where it's like I would always be amazed that the day of the shoot I would step under set and everything would just happen and people would do their jobs and occasionally things would, would come up. But all that time I'd spent, you know, trying to kind of anticipate every single contingency, every single problem was just pointless because there is no way I could anticipate the exact uh, minute mm. factors that would go into a certain thing happening. And in many ways, when something big disastrously did go wrong – that was almost the best time because, you know, that's what we are talking before about you getting to the flow state. That's when I would just have to rea- re- rely yep. on instinct. I remember we did this shoot in um, – we're still living in Melbourne, but we're doing a shoot in Sydney on one of Sydney's beaches. And I had been spent so much time getting permits for this and permits for that, I'd completely forgotten to get permits to shoot on this beach. But we're going to be there at dawn. You know, I would be gone by like 8 a.m. I I'd sort of like it wasn't a huge factor in my mind. So we've got like, you know, 40, 50 crew down there. We've got the artist, you know, in the water. We're shooting her, you know, this beautiful sunrise. She's frolicking in the water. And this lifeguard drives up in his buggy. He's like, who's in charge here? And he's means, like, you got permits to be shooting here? And I'm like, fuck. Look like at my head, I forgot to... Organised permits, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just come with me to the unit. We'll we'll get it out. So I walk, you know, as slowly as I can, so they can yeah. get shots. And I get to my little folder, and I'm like, oh God, I, I'm sure it's here. And then I say to him, mate, look, uh, I'm I'm really sorry. I don't know uh, where the permit is. I, I, maybe it's been lost in the mix. I'm sure we have it, but if we if we didn't, what what would you say we should do? And he's like, Well, you have to get a permit, or I'm going to shut you down. And I'm like, okay. So, um, would you have the number of the person at the council? He's like, well, it's so and so. <laughs> so he gives me this guy's mobile number. It's like seven AM. So I say to my ad, just like, just, just keep rolling. Like if he tells you to pack yeah. up, just pack up real slow and just keep rolling. So I wake, call this guy. Hello, uh, my name's Charlie Clawson with BlackBerry Films. Listen, we've run into a bit of an issue. Um, I don't know how it happened, but we've got to get a permit. Are you able to come down and issue a permit now? And the guy's like in bed. And I don't know if it was just because I caught him, you know, half asleep. He's like, uh, yep, 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 sure, sure. I'll be down in about uh, 20 minutes. Oh. And so I was on my phone filling out an application, $500 fee or whatever. So running to an ATM to pull the money out. The whole time I'm juggling all this kind of stuff. Managed to get it all done. Got the got the permit approved. Literally handed the dude the permit as we're packing up to go. <laughs> like we've got oh, everything no, we funny, oh. and handed the permit. But that was probably like the most stressful thing that was going to happen on that entire shoot. And it was – there's no way I could foresee that of coming. And it worked out fine. You know, like I was experienced in mm. that situation. I'm working with a professional crew. If if your dad was there, he would have been saying to me, she'll be right. Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? He shuts you down. Yeah. You get the shot somewhere else. You pack up and move to another beach. You just keep going to beaches until you keep getting shut down. Like, there is a way around that problem. But I think, you know, to go back to very early in the conversation, your brain just starts thinking up the worst possible scenarios. And then, mm. like you say, the shame <laughs> comes in and you're yeah. an idiot for not of anticipating yeah. this thing. You had no way of anticipating
1: but also there's two lessons in that. The first one is how you conduct yourself. Like That's what you control. That's what I'm thinking a lot more and more about is who am I in that moment? Not what do I do, but who am I, who am I to the guy that comes up, the lifeguard, yep. who am I to your team? It's, and that's what, that's your journey. Who are you when you drop the pan yep. in the kitchen? Yeah. You know, who are you in that moment? And that's, that's worth aspiring to, and we are in that control, right? So yeah. that's that's a fun little exercise and, and little mastery worth doing. Um, but the other piece, and I, I don't know if you've heard this in years. Remember sunscreen, the song from Romeo yeah. and Juliet. Yeah. So you've got to play that um, again because it was in ninety
0: three I think. No, no. So that would would have been. 96? 96. 96, 97. So it
1: was around 96 and it was I think Baz Luhrmann it was spoken word sunscreen it was all these sort of you know um, pieces of advice and I mentioned it to Sammy Cab the other day and he's like laughing at me and I was like (laughs) press play on it because there'll be something that that speaks to you there'll be one or two lines (laughs) and and it did it was like one of the lines was basically what you just said which was you know, don't worry because you know you'll soon realise. Because I was talking to people, you know, kids who are in their early twenties, right, about the life ahead, mm. and I said, don't worry because you'll realise that worrying is about as effective as you know solving algebra by chewing chewing gum. <laughs> and you'll also realise that the, the 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 biggest challenges in your life you never anticipate; they just hit you, you know, yeah. one Tuesday morning, and you have to just react to it and. That's, that's actually the, it's exactly what you just said. And that is actually, there is some wisdom in that. All the things that you worry about in your life, it's the stuff you don't worry about that actually tests you.
0: Yeah. And it's just, and the stuff that does worry you, don't worry because she'll be right.
1: She'll be right, Kenny.
0: (laughs) Uh, Jules, thank you so much for uh, being our very first guest on Fofop for 2022. I'd love to have you back on. I'll pick a time uh, where you are not being slammed by work. Uh, Hopefully won't interrupt any more of your holiday time. We'll have to find that Window in between work and skydiving and holidays, where I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not eating into your very precious Actually, relaxing time after a skydive. Oh, oh, yeah, when you're just charged with adrenaline or depleted from adrenaline, depending on how you are. Hi,
1: Charlie.
0: <laughs> um, do you have anything you <laughs> want to promote or plug? Nah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Jules Lund. na, 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 na